we begin the tenth pedic, which moves to hafarat nedarim. Uh, beforehand, we were talking about hatarat nedarim, in which one undoes a vow based on a petach. You say, "Oh, did you realize the circumstances and the difficulty that this would get you into?" And if the person says, "No, I didn't realize, I would not have taken the vow," that is considered a basis, a petach, and we say mutarim lachem. However, now we're talking about a different case of a minor uh, daughter or a wife, in which case the father or husband have the right to mefer the neder, mufarlach, to annul the vow um, and uh, say, no, this is from now on, uh, this is not, this is an invalid vow. All right, what are the circumstances in which one can or cannot undo a vow? So the Mishnah teaches, Now it's already assuming that you know a lot of things. Um, that a father has a right to annul the vow of his daughter when she's a minor. Not talking about when she's six, because then she has no dot or making a vow doesn't matter. We're talking about when she already has some mind that she can make an applicable applicable vow, figure like 11 years old, um, and uh, and continuing on to while she's in the Ara, which is from 12 to 12 and a half. So figure from around 11 years old to 12 and a half years old, again, depending on depending specifically on biological development. The father, if he hears the daughter make a vow, he can decide whether to um, allow the vow to continue or say, that's not a good vow, right? It's no good, I'm undoing it. That's the father's right. Now, separately, a husband also has a right to undo the vows of his wife, uh, particularly when they have to do with the relationship. So if the wife says, um, uh, I refuse to drink wine, and the husband says, oh, I don't like that. I, I want to I be able to go, to, a, um, uh, to go out and drink wine with you. And so this is impinging on our marriage. And so the father, the husband can say, no, this vow that you made, as long as he, as he uh, uh, annuls it on the very same day uh, that he hears about it, then he can annul that vow. All right, so that's the right of a husband that lasts throughout their marriage. Where we're dealing with in this Mishnah is, an in be, is the in-between stage, when she is me'oreset, when he did kiddushin to her. But in those days, they, do, do, they would do kiddushin many months before they did the actual nisuin. So the, uh, the, groom, the bride and groom are not living together yet. The bride is still in her father's house. So if she makes a vow while she's in her father's house, on the one hand, she's under her father's jurisdiction. She is a 12-year-old. And so the father should have the right. On the other hand, she is already betrothed, which is pretty almost married uh, to her husband. And so she's under her husband's jurisdiction. Uh, so which one is it? The Mishnah teaches that the father and the husband. Now you could read this, the father or the husband, and Gemara will deal with that, right? But we're going to see that it has to mean both the father and the husband have to agree and both of them have to annul it in order for the vow to be annulled. Neither one has the right to do it alone. 
And that's what the next clause says. Hefed ha'av ve'lo hefed ha'baal. Hefed ha'baal ve'lo hefed ha'av. E'no mufar ve'en sarich lomar she'kiyem echad mehem. If only the father nullifies the vow and not the husband, or only the husband does and not the father, then the vow is not annulled, right? She continues to be prohibited in whatever she said. And certainly, if one of the parties ratified the vow, there's a new concept, um, that not only can one of them nullify the vow, um, then it will be nullified. If they say nothing, then it continues on as it is. But they can also actually do the an opposite of nullification and actually ratify the vow. They can say, I agree to that vow, right? A father hears his daughter say, I vow I'm not going to uh, use social media anymore. The father says, good idea. I like that vow. I support you 100%, right? In that case, um, that will be the opposite of a, a nullification. And so certainly, with the end of the Mishnah is saying, if, let's say, she says something like that, I'm not going to use social media, and the father says, that's a good vow, and the husband, right, the groom, says, oh, no, I don't like that vow. I want, I want to be able to text, uh, uh, to text my future bride, my future wife, and uh, this is going to impinge on my marriage. I don't like this. Um, so in that case, well, all the more so, the husband would not be able to undo it because not only did the father not nullify it, he actually ratified it. And so that would preclude the husband from annulling the vow. All right, that's the Mishnah. Uh, Gemara is going to first analyze why we need every clause of the Mishnah. And then we're going to look for the source of this law in the Torah. So first we analyze the structure. Why do you need the second clause in the Mishnah to, that says, um, right, the first clause, remember, is that the father and the husband both have to agree to nullify it. Second clause is if the father did it but not the husband, or the husband uh, not the father, then it's not nullified. Well, I know that already from the first clause that says that the father and the husband both have to be there to annul it. If I only had the first clause, it's possible to read um, the vav, vavs in the Mishnah uh, often mean or, this or that. So I might have read it or, that's why I need the second clause to clarify that, uh, no, not either or, you need both the father and the groom. Good. Now we wonder why do we need the third clause that en sadich lomad, actually the structure of the Mishnah already said, I don't even need to tell you this. But even though it said, I don't need to tell you this, still we're wondering, so why did you tell me that? Um, if in a case where, let's say, the, let's say the husband in my uh, uh, using texting example, right? The husband says, I know this vow, I don't like that, you're not going to use texting. Um, but if, if in the case where the father is quiet, it doesn't say anything, then the, the, the vow stands because the husband alone can't do it. Then all the more so if the father said, I ratify that vow, I like that vow, right? Um, then all the more so the, uh, that the husband cannot do it, right? Do you need to say this? That one cannot do without the other. Um, if even when they're quiet, they can't. Certainly, if they actually ratified it, do you need to tell me that the husband alone can't do it, or the other way around would be true also? 
And the answer is, Oh, I need it for the following case. For example, if uh, she made a vow, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna text, I'm not gonna use social media, and the husband said, "Hefer, no good, I don't like that vow," but um, the father said, "I ratify that." Afterwards, the father says, "I ratify that's a good vow." But then the father thought about it again and said, "You know what? Eventually, my uh, daughter's gonna move out of the house, and I'm not gonna see her to talk to her all the time." I want to be able to text her also. I undo my ratification. You can undo a ratification too, just like you can undo a vow. We'll go to a chamsis and I ratified her vow, but I feel bad about that. I didn't want to ratify her, ratify her, ratify her vow. So I might have thought that that which he ratified now is undone. And now we'll have an, an, an actual nullification. Since the husband, he's the first one that had acted, he already nullified it. So that's already there on the books. And then the father ratified it, but then undid his ratification, which is equivalent to a nullification or uprooting of it. And therefore, now you have both of them uprooted it. I might have thought that that's valid. That's why the last phrase comes to teach me that they both of them have to nullify it at the same time. Now this doesn't mean literally they have to come in together and say at the same time we both nullify it. It just means that one of them can't nullify nullify it at a time when the other ratifies it, right? The other one ratifying it kind of undoes the nullification. And so since um, once the father ratifies it, that nullification of the husband is no longer on the books, so to speak, right? It kind of breaks it. Uh, then if, when the father says, I changed my mind, I want to nullify it, the husband would have to come back again and say, oh, I nullify it again so that they'll both be at the same time. Uh, that's the point, that they have to be uh, in, in sequence, one right after the other, or at the same time, the father and the husband have to say, we nullify it. If either of them, in, in the meantime, says, I ratify it, then that undoes a previous nullification. That's what the third clause is coming to teach. Okay, this is uh, not doesn't seem to be the peshat of the Mishnah, which is, which does seem to be en This is letting you know, right? Um, and uh, many uh, oftentimes the Mishnah uses this. Um, here's one law of en and certainly I don't have to tell you the other law. So often it does say that, but I think the Gemara here is reading in another chidush from the third phrase in order to teach us this very law, right? That we, because otherwise we wouldn't know about um, the ratification and how ratification can uh, affect or undo a prior nullification and the fact that you can undo a ratification. So these are all interesting halachot that the Gemara is developing uh, from the Mishnah and uh, and backing up, uh, reading into the Mishnah so that we can connect. It's kind of like an asmachta that the rabbis make to Pesukim. Sometimes they also make with the Mishnah. All right, and now we're going to deal with the question of how do we know this? All right, this section is a little bit difficult to follow because the uh, the derivation is, um, is, is does not line up with the Peshat. 
So therefore, it's worth taking a couple of minutes to read the Peshat, and then we'll appreciate how this Midrash Halacha uh, layers on top of the Peshat. If you're not so familiar with, the, with these Pesukim, I recommend you pause and go look at Bimidbar chapter 30, the beginning of Parashat Matot. It's a short chapter, read it in Hebrew, in English, in Sepharia, anywhere you get your Tanakh. Um, and uh, what you'll see, we'll review it here quickly, um, is that there are pretty much three cases, three clauses in this pedic. Uh The first one is um, a woman who makes a neder, um, bebet aviha, while she's in her father's house, bin uda, she's a minor, right, say around 12, and she's living in her father's house. So in the Peshat, it sounds like she is not married, and the father hears it, um, and he's quiet. If he's quiet and uh, doesn't say anything, then the vow continues. It's a valid vow. But if if the father restrains her, he says, no, I don't like that vow, on the day that he hears it, then the uh, vow will not stand. Uh, he can undo the vow. Okay, so that's case number one. A father can annul a minor daughter's vows. Simple case. The second case is, if she is with a man, meaning married. Uh, the Gemara is going to say, means kiddushin and not nisuin. All right, we'll see about that. Um, uh, that uh, we understand the Midrash because the third example, the third case is going to be being bet ishahnadara, if she actually is in her father's house. Um, so there is basis for the Midrash to make this distinction between kiddushin and nisuin here. Okay, but in simple Peshat, here's what, here's what this case is coming to add. Um, at the time of the marriage, whatever, at not clear what stage, Kiddushin or Nisuin or something in between, at some time, um, at the beginning of the marriage, Shama Isha Biyom Shom La, and she had made vows beforehand, and now her husband, Isha, her husband, on the day that he hears that she had made, made, made vows before, then, if the husband hears about that and says, Oh, she made that vow before we got married. I don't like that vow. He has a right to undo it uh, on that day. If he waits and a week later, then no longer can he undo the vow. So in the simple reading, this is talking about a husband at some stage in the beginning of the marriage. It could be, could be Kiddushin. Uh, could be Nisuin, it's not so clear, but the point is it's at the very beginning of the marriage, and the husband uh, hears that his wife made a vow, let's say, while she was in her father's house, she made a vow, she's not going to drink wine, right? And the father was said, oh, that's a, good, that's a good vow, I don't want my daughter to drink wine. But then, once they're married, the husband, uh, you know, they're, they're, um, uh, they're married for a few days, and the husband said, hey, let's have a drink of wine together. She says, oh, I made a vow against drinking wine. And the husband says, what? I didn't know about that. I, I don't like that vow. I, she can undo it. He can undo it, even though she made it beforehand. So the second clause is talking about a husband who can annul his wife's vows made before marriage whenever he hears it after marriage, at the beginning of the marriage. Okay, that's the second clause. The Midrash that we're going to see is not going to agree with this law and is, not, is going to say, no, the husband cannot undo a vow that she made before the marriage. Um, okay, but this is the simple reading. Now, in the Peshat, the third is, in Bet Ishanadara, this is if she made a vow while she's married, while she's in her husband's house, she makes a vow, 
And if the husband hears about it and is quiet, then it stands. And if he decides to undo it on that day, then it's undone. So this is talking about when a husband can annul a wife's vows made during marriage, right? So it seems pretty clear, right? It's three different stages. At the first stage, when she's unmarried at home, the father and she's a minor, the father can annul it. When, the, when they first get married, and then the husband can undo vows that she had made in her father's house. And once they are married, the husband can annul any wife that she makes during the marriage. That's the three stages. However, the Gemara is not going to, um, is going to take it in a different direction. Let's see. So what we're looking for is a derivation for the Mishnah that a father and a husband both have to annul a vow while she is me'oreset, uh, when they did Kiddushin, but before Nisuin, when she is still living in her father's house. Where do we see that? As you can see, it's not very clear. It's not explicit in the Pesukim, as we just read them. So this is a good question. How are we going to learn this? Minelan, so we're going to learn it from this pasuk, which is the beginning of the second clause. And we say from here, a minor who is engaged to be married, or basically uh, the first stage of marriage, which is almost married. The father and the husband both need to be there in order to undo the vow. How are they reading these pesukim? Uh, so they're reading it as we're going to see as follows. As follows. The first clause is talking about says that a father can annul his minor daughter's vows, and this doesn't say whether she is meorasa or not meorasa. So the rabbis are going to this midrash is going to take the first clause to mean that a father needs to be there to annul the vow as long as she's a minor. Whether she is meorasa or not meorasa, as long as she is bebet aviha. Anytime she is living in her father's house, whether she's single or meorasa, the father has to annul the vow. Okay, so this is already different from the Peshat, right? Even if she's meoreset, the father does it. That's the first clause. And the second says um, that the husband has to be there to annul the vow. So we're reading this, this Mizash is reading this as a betrothed minor requires the father also, the father and the husband. The father I know from, from clause one, and this is adding that the husband also. Um, okay, so you see it doesn't say that she is in Bet Isha, right? So we assume she's still in Bet Aviha. Um, uh, okay, so that's how we learn Right, the father has to do it, and the husband is from this clause. Now, let's see. Now, we ask a question hold on, how do you know that the second clause is talking about that she's only betrothed with Kiddushin? Maybe it's talking about when she is Nisua, when she's actually fully married. Well, but that can't be what we're about to say because the third clause says in Betishandada, that's when she's married. Why would you need two clauses when she's married? Right? Maybe the second clause is about married, fully married. That can't be because the third clause is when she's fully married. Why would you need both? Oh, well, so I can answer that and say, uh, both of them are for marriage. And I know you're going to say, why do I need two clauses 
for when they're already married. Maybe I need two of them to teach me that a husband cannot nullify earlier vows. This is the opposite of the Peshat. It's hard to see how they would read this in, but maybe that this is what they're proposing now, that we have two of them. The third one is saying that the husband can nullify vows that uh, she makes while they're married. And this one uh, means that the husband cannot nullify vows that she made before the marriage. And maybe that's why there are two clauses. Uh, so, well, it's hard to read anyway, but don't worry, we're going to reject it no matter what. Wait, I don't need, I would, I would know that anyway, just from the third clause. I wouldn't need the second clause. How so? Because the third clause says that if she made a vow while in her husband's house, means after they're fully married, then he can nullify it. That implies that before, if she made the vow beforehand, he cannot nullify it. And therefore, that would preclude any possibility of the husband nullifying a vow that the wife made before they were married. So just based on this, only, where if you add the word only here, only if she makes a vow while she's married and in her husband's house, then he can nullify it. So that's gonna based on that we're basic we're pretty much uprooting that Peshat reading of uh, of the second clause the Peshat reading again being that she can uh, he can uproot the vow that she made before marriage while uh, right before the marriage that he he didn't know about. As, uh, uh, but he only learned about after marriage, he can still do it. No, the rabbis, the Midrash does not like that because it was contradicting the implication from Imbet Isha Nadara. And therefore, both of these clauses cannot be during marriage. Instead, this second clause has to be during Kiddushin, after Kiddushin. And that's therefore it's teaching that what we originally said, this is Rabbah's answer, that the first clause is that the father has to annul it. The second clause is that the husband has to annul her, both of them talking about a minor who is Meodeset. Okay, um, so all that is one good possibility. Or another, this is another answer to the question that we had before. How do you know that both of the uh, second and third clause are not both about Nisuin? Well, because the second clause says Havaya, and Havaya means Kiddushin. Right, right here, we've seen this in Masechet Ketubot, that Lihiyot Leish is a language that means Kiddushin as opposed to Bet Ishanadara when she moves in to the uh, into the house with her husband. And so just based on Imayoti yeah, without this uh, without the discussion we just said about the Wadini two for Frinisuin, just from this word by itself, I know that it's Kidushin. And therefore once again, good, we have a good proof for the Mishnah paragraph one, it says that the husband, that the father annuls. Second paragraph said that the husband annuls. And it's not an either or. You need both this, both this and that uh, in order to annul a minor betrothed woman's uh, vows. Okay, now we're going to ask a series of challenges to Rabah's uh, um, derivation here. But we're going to reject each one. So, Wait a second. Maybe a father alone can undo 
the vow. Now, it's hard to know, what do you mean, how a father alone? And this whole paragraph is about a husband. Okay, what this question must mean is that maybe it's an either-or. Maybe the first and second paragraph here are saying either a father uh, can undo her, his daughter, as long as she's living in the house, right? Even if she's betrothed, the father can do it alone. And the second paragraph is saying if they're betrothed, the husband can do it alone. And maybe that's what this means, not a, not and. We reject that. Imken basera isar bet aviha yani otah lamali hashta yesh lomar bemkom arus mefer av lechude shelo bemkom arus mi ba'ya. The answer is that that hypothesis would render the first clause uh, clause unnecessary. The first clause that says that the, the father can undo the vow. Um, why would I need that if? And uh, um, uh, if a father can undo the vow alone, singly, even when there is a groom, um, uh, the father alone can do it. Then when there is no groom and she's not Arusa uh, at all, would I even need to say such a thing? Uh, in other words, if the second clause here is coming to teach that, a husband alone can nullify it, and therefore a father alone can also nullify it. Well, then I wouldn't need the first clause to tell me that the father alone can nullify it when she's single. All right, because the first clause includes, includes when she's single. Because I could make a kavachomet if the father can alone nullify it even when she is, has meoreset, then all the more so he can while she's single. So therefore, I wouldn't even need to teach the first clause. So therefore, um, this hypothesis is not possible. It can't be an either or. It's got to be both. Okay, well, hold on. Emma avli arus, arus Maybe you need both of them if the father is doing it. In other words, the father, if he annuls it, he still needs the husband to annul it. But and that's why you need the first clause also that yeah, the father can do it when there is no groom. But if there is a groom, then the father needs the groom. But maybe the second clause is teaching that the groom alone can do it, right? Uh, so in other words, um, this teaches that the husband alone, once there, once she's arusa, he alone can undo it, even though the father will not gain, um, even though the father will now be need an end, right? The father will need the husband also, if there is a husband. So the first clause is now is talking about when she is single. And if there is a husband, then you need the husband with with or without the father. So maybe that's what the second one, the second clause is talking about, that the husband can un annul it alone. And if you say that, well then why the why do I need to even say that the, the clause about the father? Because actually it doesn't make a difference if the father annuls it or not, since the husband alone can annul it. Uh, so just say the husband can annul it. I don't have to say anything about the father. Um, so the answer to that would be no. If the father ratifies the vote, ratifies the vow, then the husband would not be not be allowed to do it. So the the father would still does have control over the husband um, if he's quiet then the husband alone can nullify it. 
But if the father ratifies the vote, then the husband alone cannot nullify it. And that's why I would need two paragraphs. Um, but if the father's quiet, then the husband alone can nullify it. So I might think that it's still kind of an or situation. No, then I have a new problem because if a, a husband alone can nullify his betrothed vow, then why would I need the third case? When there is a father, because she's only betrothed and she's living in her father's house, the husband, the groom, can alone annul the vow. Then when the father's out of the picture, because they're fully married and she's living in the, in the husband's house, would I even need to say it? I wouldn't need the third clause. So from the fact that there's a third clause that says there's some difference between betrothed and married, I can learn from that that only when she's married, then the husband alone has a right to annul it. But before that, when only betrothed, the husband does not have a right alone. You need the father also. Okay, so we're back to having a good proof from Raba, the father and the husband. Now we're going to try one last challenge to it. Emma, in Bet Ishah Nadara, Maybe uh, the third clause, so this would actually undo the, uh, the, the, the answer that we just had. Um, you, you, you asked, oh, the third clause would be unnecessary um, if the husband can do it alone when they're only engaged, and certainly the husband can do it alone uh, when they are fully married, right? And so this would be, uh, you wouldn't need the third clause. But maybe you'll say, oh, I need the third clause to teach me that you cannot, the husband cannot undo any vows that she made before the marriage. Uh, the opposite of the, of the, of the Peshat reading of the, of the second clause. Uh, maybe we need the third clause to teach me that. No, only, right, so this is the point, only if she made a vow, bet ishanadara, but not if she made a vow beforehand. And that's why I need the third clause, but it wouldn't be redundant. And really, the husband could undo it alone, even at the time of betrothal. Uh, no, if you use the third clause to teach me that a husband, a full-fledged husband, cannot undo vows she had before, well then I would infer that the second clause would include vows that she made before. And that would come to a paradox, that if they're fully married, he has less power over her than when they're only betrothed. When they're fully married, he cannot undo vows that she made beforehand. And that would imply that during the Kiddushin phase, he can undo vows she had beforehand. That doesn't make sense. She shouldn't have more power over her when during Kiddushin than Nisuin. So, Elala, Mishum Shutafute rather right we're going back to uh back to the original um that this is talking about uh marriage and the previous one is talking about um uh, kiddushin and even though actually in peshat you could say that he would have more of a right at the beginning of marriage or at the kiddushin stage because that's when he will learn about vows she made beforehand so maybe only then he has the power and not after they're married for a while Okay, but then the Midrash is saying, uh, no, we're not reading that. The husband cannot and never undo vows that she made 
before the marriage. Um, those uh, um, those she, she took on her own, um, but rather we're going back to Rabba's reading, which is that the husband, the father can undo the vow alone when she is single. But if she's married, then you need the father, that's the first clause, and the husband, that's the second clause, uh, is all about Kiddushin. And the third clause says, oh, then when you're fully married, then you don't need the father anymore. Then and only then the husband can um, uh, can annul the vow by himself. And so this is a very interesting midrash on the Peshat of the Pesukim. Um, but you can see that we have the Mishnah, so we know the law, and we have to find the derivation of it. And there is, in fact, a lot of uh, repetition and a compl- complex cases in the in the Pesukim. And uh, uh, there is one, more than one valid way to separate the clauses of, uh, uh, of these Pesukim. And so it's very interesting to see side by side the Peshat of the Pesukim and the way the Midrash elaborates on it. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen.